this that we can come to. Um, so many needs represented, so much pain at times. And come to think, this is, this is what we're here for. I know that Pastor Ralph mentioned but a few of the needs that are represented here today and, and knowing that and, and feeling that and knowing that God knows it and feels it and cares deeply. And some of what we'll be speaking about this morning has to do with the body of Christ. In fact, what we have been talking about uh, for the past few weeks has been something that we as a church have identified as our vision statement. You find that on the back of your bulletin and this being the final week in that series. Thus far, we started out with Pastor Ralph talking about the whole in our holiness and the necessity for each one of us as individual believers to be seeking a life that is holy before God. And then moving on from that, we talked about the necessity of evangelism and discipleship in the life of our church and how significant that is as really as an expression of our worship. And then Pastor Kerry shared with us the necessity of us living out our lives with the people around us and talked about the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible and asked, causes us to ask us ourselves the question, are we that priest or that Levite or the Samaritan who stops along the way? And then last week, Jose spoke with us about the necessity of being generous in our giving and how that too is an expression of our worship. And as we have covered these, this, this statement and broken it up into uh, various pieces, there, there's one common thread, again, that, that I know that we have mentioned along the way, but I feel strongly needs to be emphasized. And that thread is the thread of worship. Because in essence, all that that statement says and all that we are and all that we do, not just showing up here on a Sunday morning, all of that is an expression of our worship to God. Today in our conclusion, we're once again going to talk about that, specifically in the area of stewardship, what that means for us. I think often in our, in our Christian lingo, uh, when we say the word worship, typically we think of those few moments on Sunday mornings when we sing along with the worship team, and we say that's our worship for the week, or we're alone in our car listening to the radio and belting out some tune or something like that, that's, that's worship. Um, but I don't think it is. I think it has a lot more to do with than just that, and I want to look at some of that today. Today we have to uncover where that worship thread touches the area of stewardship in our lives. Well, late last year, the end of December, came a news item came across. Authorities in the town of Evanston, Wyoming, came across the body of a man who had apparently died of hypothermia. And upon identification, found out it was 60-year-old Timothy Henry Gray, homeless, nowhere to go. His siblings told the authorities he had disappeared in 1990 without a, without a word. Come to find out, when they did the identification, he was a great-grandson of a former U.S. Senator William Andrews Clark, known as one of the Copper Kings of Montana. Clark was a banker and a builder and was worth, at this point in his life, at this point in, uh, in when uh, Timothy died, $307 million. 
Now, there is also a youngest daughter, Huguette Clark. She recently died a couple years ago at the age of 104. But the point is this. His estate, his portion of the estate, would have been amounted to about $19 million had he claimed it. And he died alone, penniless, homeless of hypothermia. In fact, Gray reportedly was not using the money he already had. The coroner said that Gray's wallet contained a cashier's check from 2003 for a significant amount. He had chosen, for whatever reason, to ignore the great wealth that could have been his. In essence, he chose not to steward the wealth that had been entrusted to him. We are rich. Did you know that? Considering all that God has given us, most significantly, I think we're rich in regard to our spiritual possessions, and we find that Paul writes about that in the book of Ephesians, of how rich we are there, but what else has God entrusted to us? Could it be that all of the things that we possess here now don't really belong to us? Do we even realize what we have? Are we good stewards of the wealth that God has given to us? I think most of us here today would affirm that good stewardship is a good thing. I have to talk about that. Or even generosity. That's a good thing. So we're not going to sit here and try to convince ourselves of those facts. We know that. We agree with that. Instead, how well do we measure up to good stewardship? What's the standard? If we don't measure up, why? God gives us a hint of his standard. It's recorded in scripture. It's something that took place while Jesus was here on this earth. We've mentioned it before. In fact, Jose mentioned it last week. It's the familiar passage of the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. Recall that story? Where Jesus was going about with his disciples and this young man came up, up to him. He was very rich. He was young and he was very powerful. And he wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, keep the commandments. The man said, I have. I've done this, I've done this, and I've done this. Now you can imagine the disciples off to the side saying, oh yes, this is a good one for our cause, Jesus. Don't blow this one, okay? The guy's got power, he's got wealth, he's got influence. We need him on our team. Jesus says one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the man just went, oh and he couldn't do it. See, that's a standard. That's a standard. He was unable to surrender control and fully trust in Jesus. Does that sound familiar? At Jesus' direct request, he chose not to sell all he had and give to the poor. Could we do that? Why not? What about us needs to be changed in God's eyes? And what does this have to do with worship? Well, let's begin at the beginning. I'm going to divide this up into three parts. The object of our worship the extent of our worship, and the evidence of our worship. First, the object of our worship. Often we have this phrase or expression where we say, I, I want to treat everything that I have as if God owns it all. What does Scripture say about that? Well, beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and moving all the way through the end of the Revelation, it's clear that God is the owner, the possessor. In fact, Genesis chapter 14, verse 19. Melchizedek, 
speaking to Abraham, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. That's creator, possessor. And in Exodus, Moses tells Pharaoh about the plagues that are about to take place so that he may know that the earth is the Lord's. It all belongs to God. And if you're looking Psalms, one was already read. Here's another Psalm, Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He created and owns and sustains the universe. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and those who dwell therein, he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. See, the owner, God Almighty, the creator of the universe, he owns it all. He is the God of Adam. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob and of Joseph and his brothers. He's the God of Moses and the people of Israel. He's the God of Joshua and the great judges of Israel. He's the God of David and the kings of Israel and Daniel and the prophets of Israel. He's the God of the incarnation of Jesus coming in flesh. Jesus being born, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He's the God of Peter and Paul and the apostles and the church. He's our God. All through history, all through the entire Bible, we can see God is the owner. He is the one that we worship. He is he alone is the object of our worship. He is infinite. We as humans I think are f- unable to fully know, fully understand and fully appreciate exactly what an almighty God is. We have finite minds. Our knowledge is just but a minute fraction. And so we when we say that he is the possessor creator of all the earth, our comprehension is somewhat limited. Think of the logical progression here. Okay, some of this is that we're talking about today is just going to be pure logic. Almighty God owns it all. All I have then, therefore, rightfully belongs to him. Attempting to attain or keep anything for myself can be a rebellious act against God. Pure worship that honors him is full surrender of all I am and have to God. Stewardship of everything that I have is worship. And my understanding of this material world must must come from my understanding of God. And we know from Psalm 24 that we read that this God of whom we speak, he's not an inaccessible God. It's not some impersonal force that's out there. He is approachable. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. We can approach this almighty God that we speak of. I think too often, though, our, worship, our stewardship is weak because our worship of God is weak. See, we attempt to hold on tightly to that little wad of pitiful, wrinkled-up dollar bills that we have because our trust in God is so shallow. We don't know Him well. You think about it, the better you, you know someone, the more you trust them, right? Sometimes you, can, you see like a, a couple that's been married for many, many years, and they can tell what the other person is going to say. They can predict not because of, just by simply an expression on their face they can read and say the whole sentence of what that person is thinking we need to know God in that way 
our trust in him will increase as we know him deeper. Well, how do we deepen our knowledge of God? We have to actively seek that. I, and I think, you know what, I, I want to be careful here because sometimes we throw around these phrases and we nod our heads and say, that's a good thing. Deepen our knowledge of God. What does that mean? Well, first off, it means taking that first step of salvation. It means that we have come to a place in our lives where we realize that doing this life and trying to be good and, and hoping for something, maybe there's a heaven, is not enough. And realizing that I can try to be good, and no matter how hard you try, you realize, man, I blew it again. God's not going to like me. And you come to that point and say, okay, I give up. You're in a good place. Because it's that point you can realize that there is a God there, and as holy and righteous as he is, he loves us. Can you imagine that? Us, us imperfect people. And we come to that point and say, wow, he loves us. What did he do? Glad you asked. He sent his only son to die in our place and take the punishment for our sins. Because we deserve that punishment, Romans 6.23. And every one of us has sinned, Romans 3.23. And when we come to that place, we realize, okay, I will quit trusting in my own way to try to be good and try to get to heaven, and I'll place my trust in Christ. That's the point of salvation. That's when I, when I say words, phrases like, Uh, deepen our knowledge of God. It has to begin there, but then it has to continue because we as believers then need to continually seek his presence through prayer, through study, through fellowship. He reveals himself in our thoughts. He reveals himself through others and through circumstances. And not one of us ever comes to a point in our lives where we say, okay, I've done that that prayer, study, fellowship thing. I'm good to go. Uh, I've probably arrived. Oh, no, we haven't. We have much, much more to go. Uh, We need to continue that. So when I throw that phrase in there, or we use that phrase sometimes, deepen our knowledge of God, that's what we're talking about. So what about that phrase? Live as if God owns it all. (laughs) He does. There's no as if about it. Live in a way that gives evidence that God owns it all. God is the object of our worship, What are we stewards of? What does all include? Let's talk about the extent of our worship. I think it includes our whole lives. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. So we're not only talking about the God of the universe who created everything and sustains everything. We're talking about us as people. Our own lives are his. Think about in um, Acts chapter 17 where Paul in his sermon in Athens, he's speaking to a bunch of unbelievers who don't really understand, but they're seeking. And he says this, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. This is Acts chapter 17 verse 23. And 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's the one that gives it to us. So what's everything? Let's name a few things. The Western mind, which most of us here have, wants to compartmentalize. We like categories. So for the sake of our Western minds, here are some categories to identify the extent 
of our worship. We'll name them here, but then what implications will follow. If God owns everything, that means all of my material possessions, property, my earnings, that belongs to him. So when you hold that, whatever it is in your hand, or walk into your house and say it's mine, in reality, it belongs to him. Think of it this way. Uh, those of you who have had a mortgage or perhaps a car loan, uh, you say it's my car or my house until you miss a payment or two, and then you discover that it's the bank that really owns it, right? Well, what we have in reality belongs to God. We may call it ours and treat, as, treat it as though it's ours, but in reality, it, begun, it belongs to God. When we look at the extent of our worship, we acknowledge that all of our possessions are, in fact, really his. Not only are material possessions are time. Our worship of the creator and sustainer of the universe includes our time. God owns all 24 hours of my day, not just the time that I dedicate to him. All of it belongs to him. My abilities. God's ownership extends to all of our abilities. Any spiritual gift, any skill we might have, any training, um, any talents, any experience, any schooling, that belongs to God. Now, again, I've only, I'm only naming a few categories here. If you think of the word all, there is no way in the few moments that we have together today that I'm going to be able to cover all those. So you're going to be thinking of some more. That's good, because whatever you think of, it belongs to God. Another category is our relationships. Do you ever think about that? Our relationships, we should steward those, or, or, or the fact that how I treat other people is an expression of worship to God. See, that includes my spouse, or parents, or children, or siblings, extended family, friends, co-workers, that belongs to God. And the influence that I have with those individuals is also something that belongs to God. Now, we have done the Western thing and we created a list. I named a few things there, but guess what? You can't do that. All means all. He doesn't select categories out of our lives and leave other ones untouched. You can't say, I'll dedicate a portion of my possessions to, over to God and seek to be a wise steward and then fail to take care of the body that he has given us. And if we say that it all belongs to God, then it all belongs to God. That's the extent of our worship. So if God Almighty is the object of our worship and he's the supreme owner of the universe, how should we then think and speak and act in light of those facts. How does it work? Well, this is the evidence of our worship. We talked about the object of our worship. We talked about the extent of our worship. Now here's the evidence of our worship. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. A life of worship must be evidenced by a life of stewardship of all that he has given us. Now we say he is our God. Do we even fully comprehend the implications of this? Do you realize what we're saying when we say that? Stop and think about it sometime. Wow. The almighty God owns me, everything, my life, my breath, my time, everything about me, he owns. Now, lest we think this only applies to individuals, it does not. 
Here's a parenthesis. Another characteristic of our Western mindset is individualism. And if you know, knew that or not, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's, in fact, it's a strength. But when any strength, uh, a strength can become a weakness if it's taken to an extreme or misapplied. And the church is in danger of that. See, the church is made up of individuals, yes. But we are responsible for pursuing our relationship with God, but we are one body. Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's extensive. And together we pursue holiness and offer worship. See, we can't think it's just a bunch of individuals and I'll take care of myself and not worry about the other people. That's not church. That's not the body. The story of the church is not that it's made up of individuals who are good, perfect, lovely, etc. It's made up a group above it's made up of a group of lowlifes who come together to form one body. Yes, I said that, lowlifes. That's us. If it sounds better, I'll say, okay, sinful human beings. Same thing. And we come together to form one body that is in the process of becoming good and perfect and lovely for the glory of God. Get the difference? We need one another in this. If we're going to do church and we're going to do stewardship, we're going to do worship, we need to do it together. So when we think of good stewardship being evidence of our worship, we need to think beyond individuals and consider how we as a church should think and act in response to God's ownership of, any, of everything. End of parentheses there. Evidence of our worship is good stewardship. Now, if we were to look at these categories again, now we're going to go back to our Western mindset and think in categories again. Uh, look at these few things that we talked about. I think probably one of the most difficult areas of stewardship is our material possessions, our property, our earnings. Surrendering control of material possessions and seeking accountability from God. We don't like that word accountability. We like to be responsible for own and hands off. Don't ask me questions about it. I don't know if you ever had this before, but if, you, if someone works for a company and goes on a trip, often they'll get something called a cash advance. So the $200 that I have to go and, and go to this conference, uh, I get that as a cash advance. When I come back, I need to provide the change and the receipts, and they better add up to $200 because if they don't, it's coming out of my pocket. That's accountability. We're accountable to God for everything he gives us like a cash advance. We're accountable to him. The evidence of our true worship, then, is that it is complete surrender of control. This, too, I believe, goes against the current. Our American culture is defined by consumerism. Capitalism lends itself to that. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but again, taken to an extreme or misapplied, it can become something called materialism. There's a difference there. Materialism is when the accumulation of things becomes the all-consuming pursuit in a person's life. That means the worship is misdirected. That's materialism. So we're supposed to be worshiping God, and all of a sudden we have all these things, and those things become more important. The dangerous thing here in the U.S. is that both consumerism and materialism have so permeated our culture, even being seen as a value, we don't even realize it. 
someone points it out and says, no, 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 I, and we, we defend and say, no, no, I, I need more income. I need more stuff because that's permeated our culture so much. We just assume that we do become the norm. It's like fish swimming in water so long that so, if somebody plucks us out, we'll die. We don't even realize the materialism and consumerism that has so permeated. It's the mindset of the worldview. This is illustrated in this way. Uh, last week, uh, Jose mentioned the story of the widow who at the temple dropped in two pennies. Remember that from Luke chapter 21? And Jesus is standing by and points it out to his disciples because the people standing there hear the widow come in and hear the plink, plink of the two pennies go in. And in their minds, they roll their eyes and say, oh, that's going to help a lot with the roofing project for our temple. Where in God's ears, that's something completely different because the economy that God works with is so different from ours. Because that person gave out of complete sacrifice and gave everything she had, whereas the multimillionaire who writes a check for $10,000 and doesn't even miss it, that's different. That's not the same thing. See, in, in extreme cases, materialism, I believe, is a sin that needs to be confessed. Wow. Really? Yeah, I think it does. If I'm to be a good steward of the possessions God is loaning to me, then a portion of my income is set aside for a so-called tithe to the church. Last week, Jose, Jose said, a good place to start is a tithe, a 10% giving. Uh, you see, because in the New Testament, giving is just simply generous. It doesn't stop at 10%. And for us today, that'd be a good starting point. Another portion of our income, income set aside, perhaps, for other giving as well, to missionaries and so forth. And I think that we as a church, if I can say this, especially with our members here today, we as a church need to be stewarding and offering worship to God by being good stewards of the property that he's given us. Do you realize God has abundantly blessed us with nine distinct parcels of property in the city of Chicago? I know so many churches around Chicago that give anything just for one of those. And God has given us so much. What are we doing? When we think stewardship is not just in our personal lives, but we together as a church, how are we glorifying God? However, let's be careful. Lest we think that church is defined by possessions. We're not defined by possessions, neither is church. That's materialism. Get this better to have a group of dedicated followers of Jesus actively serving him through the power of the Holy Spirit and have no place to call home than own a beautiful building that's filled with onlookers who come once a week to be entertained. Oh, that we would seek to be true worshipers of the Almighty God, seeking his power in our lives and in this church. Not only do we have our possessions that we talk about, our abilities we mention. The extent of our worship went to our abilities. Well, how does that look in our daily lives? Evidence of true worship means my God-given gifts are used for his glory. I don't take the time to look at it, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 sometime. That's where the gifts are used, not for myself, but for the body of Christ. They're to benefit others. That evidence means that my abilities and my experience benefit the body of Christ. Sometimes when I hear, when I read um, church growth books or, or books related to that, they, they ask about the number of volunteers in a church. And I would like to say 
I don't know if I can or not, but I'd like to say, well, in our church, there is no such thing. If they're members, they are volunteers, right? Because we all have to be part of that. In April, when we start, when in the congregational meeting, when we hand those cards around, there's a place on it for you to write in what you contribute to this body of Christ, and not just your money, but your time and your abilities and your talents. We need every, every person here, not just a group of volunteers. That's one of my the things that I mentioned before. Sometimes you hear the word or the, or the pronoun thrown around in the church. When are they going to do this? What's they? Isn't it we? When are we going to do this? How can I be a part of that? Not only our abilities, but our time. This goes hand in hand. How do I devote my time to worship God? What portion of what I do uh, can I give to, uh, to devote totally over to God for His glory? It's, and it's being proactive. It's not sitting on our hands and saying, well, the church, they never asked for my help. Don't do that. Ask, where can I be used? What talents and abilities? And, and another thing exciting is, every one of us has, that have come to know Christ and a part of the body has a spiritual gift. Did you know that? And so we each have something to contribute. Now, some of you think, I don't have much. That doesn't mean anything. In God's economy, whatever you have, that's what we contribute. That goes back to the story of the widow and the two, the two pennies that she throws in. It's not the amount, it's the dedication on our part. It is illustrated for me. I believe I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating. When I was in the Philippines and preached in one of the churches there, and now the church, when I talk about the churches there, we're, we're in the squatters area, the impoverished area. And the churches are the size of a room. And there are a bunch of plastic chairs set up. And, and they usually, especially for the American preacher, they put a fan right here because it gets hot. And uh, typically there are kids running back and forth and chickens and whatever else. And um, it's just a very small, and, and it's packed. And sometimes there are people standing outside watching, uh, listening to what's going on inside. And to preach in these, in these communities is one of the most awesome experiences. And to share and to be a part of that is awesome. And after I preached, um, the pastor came up to me and handed me this envelope. I said, thank you. And I looked inside, and inside were two um, 50 peso notes. Now, a 50 pesos is worth $1. And I looked at it thinking, did I drop it? What happened? And I realized... That was the honorarium the church wanted to give me. And it was everything they had. How humbling. But see, the point isn't how much it was. It was the fact they were giving. What do you have? What do you have? Not just money, but your time, your abilities, your possessions, and your relationships. I think when I think of relationships, I think sometimes self is the biggest the monster of an enemy here. I call it a monster because self can just sometimes just obliterate any attempt that we have to have good relationships with other people. The standard for, for that is agape, a selfless love. Evidence of our worship means my relationships and my influence on others is devoted to God. I'm accountable to God, to Him for how I treat other people, for setting healthy boundaries, for exercising agape. And our influence choosing to be a positive influence both on a personal level and as a church with community, with other churches, with our sister congregation, 
and the whole world. Do you see what effect that total worship has on the life of a believer? You think about that. Think about that. How can my worship of God be total? How can I steward what he has given me? Answer, by living a life of total worship. That's where it starts. Too often we get hung up on the how much and the how to. No, 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 no. Go all the way back and say, who is it that I worship? To what extent? Recognizing who he is, growing in that realization because we will never fully understand recognizing to what extent the fact that he owns everything and then seeking to live my life in light of those facts. Now this should be something for us that's not a guilt trip. If we're going out of here today with a guilt trip hanging around our neck or saying, I'm just going to try harder, we missed the point. That's not what we're talking about. It should be refreshing. The fact that ah, all this stuff that has accumulated and my time and my abilities, my relationships, they belong to God. They're His. I don't have to worry about them anymore. When you leave today, the people that you talk to, the house that you walk into, it's God's. It belongs to Him. That in itself is like, is so freeing. It's like, oh, okay. Off of my shoulders. It belongs to you, God. And we are responsible for being the stewards of whatever it is. And all of that, all of that we've talked about over the last few weeks, all of that is worship. So when we talk about the vision for our church, where we would like to go, and that's what this vision statement is, it has to do with worship, recognizing the object of our worship, who God is, the extent of that worship. It covers everything. And then how to live it out? That's a lifetime. That's a lifetime of learning and helping one another not hiding off it as an individual and saying, I'll figure this out somehow, leave me alone. But no, worshiping together. That's why we have the small groups. That's why we have uh, Sunday morning, the, the Bible study, the adult learning and this children's Sunday school. We learn this together because we need one another. And together then, we're living out that life of worship that's stated there. Today, this week, from the time that we spend together with our family, to the loved ones, to the house we walk into, when we get home, to the job that we go to tomorrow, understand it all belongs to God. Thank Him for it. And then live out the reality we are but stewards of this world and all that is in it for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Our God and Father in heaven, we thank you that you indeed are a God to be worshipped. We thank you that you indeed love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. We thank you, our Father, for the privilege of worshiping you. We acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge our need to be stewards of all that you have given us. In so doing, Lord, we commit ourselves to you to be just that, the stewards and worshipers of the Holy God. We thank you pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the band members come to